Um, so we are in our series, Giants Eat Peas and Carrots. You've heard from Pastor Matthew over the last couple of weeks some, uh, some dynamic teaching and some realities about the supremacy of Christ and overcoming the powers of the evil regime that Satan is head over, and he has made a public display of them, triumphing over them through the cross, and he has all authority that has been given to him. And so all of these uh, principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, they are subject to Jesus. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's huge. Praise God. And so I thought we would do just a quick refresh in case you haven't been in our study, but uh, the, Colossian, the book of Colossians is one of four letters that Paul wrote from the Roman prison. So these letters date to about 61 to 63 AD, and Paul is writing in his Roman imprisonment. He had received a report from Epaphras. Epaphras is identified in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12 as one of them. So he, he is from Colossae, and he is attributed to the one who heard Paul, probably in Ephesus, and brought the gospel back to the city of Colossae and Aeropolis, as well as Laodicea. It's very probable he was the pastor of the church that was there in Colossae. And so we know that he is the one that they learned the gospel from because Colossians chapter 1, Paul references and says, the gospel whom you heard from our brother Epaphras. And so Paul had received a report from Epaphras that there were some things happening, most of which were good, but there were some things that were happening that weren't so good. And the things that were happening that weren't so good is that there was some teaching that was going on that was contrary to the gospel of Jesus. And the contrariness of it was, it was Jesus and this, or Jesus and this, or Jesus and this, or Jesus and this. It was Jesus and something. So there were the Gnostics who were talking about intellectualism. There were the Judaizers who were talking about the legalism of the law. There were the mysticists who were actually worshiping other beings as well. And there was this asceticism where they were just putting an emphasis on human body and the disciplines of the human body and overemphasizing those things. And so Paul, in his address, in this letter to the response of this report, he is bringing some understanding so the first thing he does in what we have is known as chapter 1, which, by the way, the chapters, remember, everybody, they're not inspired, right? The chapter, letters, and numbers, that kind of thing, those aren't inspired. The word is inspired. Those chapter headings were given to us in about the 11th century, and then the verses were given in about the 13th century. They're not inspired, so you'll see even the breakup sometimes are not very, very good. But what we have is chapter 1. He's talking about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is making clear doctrinal understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and the deity of Christ. Then in chapter 2, he is going to eradicate the false teaching. He's going to identify these Gnostics, the Judaizers, the mysticists, and these uh, asceticists in all of their false teaching. And so then 
as is the norm for Paul in his writing and as the Spirit of God inspires him to write, he's going to move from doctrine, deep theology, which you heard Pastor Matt so eloquently go in depth about that theology stuff, to practical Christian living. I mean, you look at the book of Ephesus, same thing. First three chapters, doctrine. Last three chapters, duty. It's how we live our lives. And when I say duty, it's not like, oh, grudgingly, I got to go do the things that I'm supposed to do. No, it's, it's the joy to live out a life of gratitude unto the Lord with thanksgiving. I'm giving thanks to God because of what he has done. I get to now be this. I was once this, ugh, and now, by the power of the Spirit of God living in me, I get to live this, and it is celebratory, and we have this life in Christ. And so we really come to chapter 3 and what has been covered for us, and I think I put it up here, verses 1 through 4, the believer's new affections. He says things like, set your mind on things above, where Christ is, not on earthly things. And so it's like an adjustment while I was in the world and of the world and living out this carnal life, I had my affections on the things of this world. But now that Christ has come into my life, I'm born again, the Spirit of God has taken up residence in my life, he is changing my affections from the inside out. He's doing a work that no hands can do. It is the circumcision of the heart. It's the cutting away of the carnality of my life. And he is a surgeon with precision. That's why when we talk about the word of God, we say the word of God, as scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it, it divides the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. It gets to the heart of the matter, living and active, cutting through and getting to the core of humanity, who you and I are. And the word of God speaks richly to us. And so the believer's affections, verses one through four, then we come to the believer's old apparel. Now, it's the things that we need to put off, you know, our carnal nature, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those kinds of things. I don't know about you, but are there some old T-shirts or old hoodies in your closet or your drawer that you, like, actually love to put back on? Yeah. Well, there really is a typology in that, right? I mean, because sometimes we want to just go for that comfort thing, and it's a place of comfort. It's a place of familiarity. And sometimes we pick up old garments that we've taken off, and we want to put them back on. And Paul's saying, hey, let's not pick up those old garments. Rather, let's go... Uh, let's go into the next set of verses from verses 12 through 17, and let's look at the new garments that God has provided for us in Christ Jesus and those newness things in this walk with Jesus. And so we looked very closely, and Pastor Matthew talked through these last week and the week before. Um, and now today, today we're going to be really picking up uh, the believer's new attitudes and actions. So if I could enumerate them, and I think I did, um, the believer's affections, our old apparel, our new apparel, the things we put on, uh, and now we're looking at the new attitudes and actions. And really, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay? 
So we're going to hear things like, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not embitter them. Uh, Children, obey your parents. In all things, Uh, employees, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Employers, give what is right and treat people well. And it's this idea that we are all under authority. Can I get an understanding of amen? Amen. We all are under authority. And so believers' behaviors, I guess, would be the title for today's message. And uh, I probably could have come up with a better description. It would be like uh, our home code. It could be um, uh, our conduct or something like that. But this idea of believers' behaviors. And um, I'd like to say that verse 14 would be our launch pad. Verse 14 is, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So put on love. And the love that is referenced here, the Greek, the Greek is, Koine Greek is the most exacting of all languages in the ethnos of humanity. Uh, Koine Greek is very thorough. English language is very limited. We have very few words other than maybe the word average or median to describe things between, you know, uh, tall and short or fat and skinny. Uh, There's just not a lot of words in the middle other than, well, average or median or, I mean, big boned and husky, you know, that kind of thing. But there's just few words. But Koine Greek has a lot of words that cover things. Like in English, we say, man, I love corn dogs. Amen, Dennis? I mean, anybody not love corn dogs? Come on. <laughs> I mean, corn dogs. You go to the fair. What do you get? You get a corn dog. You got to do it. And maybe an elephant ear. Those are good. I love corn dogs. And then you see your wife. You say, I love my wife. <laughs> like, is my wife equal to a corn dog? <laughs> They're different kinds of love, right? And the Greeks identify that. And the word here is agape. And so put on agape. Now, it it, it has been said that agape love is the kind of love that God has for us. And that is a true statement in many regards. But God's love is bigger even and better than that understanding, right? And so because Man is invited in to have this kind of love, but he also says, don't agape sin, but man agape sin. And this world, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, don't agape this world. So there's a capacity to have that kind of love, carnally speaking, and so that, it's hard to equate that with God in that regard, but don't, let's not hang up there. This word is agape, and we're to put on this agape, and agape is a, it's a unique kind of love that is best probably described as without condition. It's without condition. It's love that is given regardless, right? 
So it, it doesn't have to be performed for. God loves you. You don't have to perform for his love. He already loves you. He's not going to love you more if you perform better. Everybody got that? Because sometimes we think, well, God's not answering my prayers. Maybe I need to do something so he'll love me more and answer my prayers. The answer is no. The answer is no. You already have all of God's love. You already have it all. Okay? So it's love without condition. You don't have to perform for that love. And so he is inviting us into that kind of love toward other people. Now, understand this too. Agape love is not emotionally based. That's significant. That's a big deal. Because how many of us have woke up in the morning sometimes and said, I don't feel like I'm a believer today because <laughs> I had, maybe I had a bad dream or maybe I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe I have a bad mood going on. Maybe something didn't go right. Maybe I didn't sleep well. Whatever. My emotion actually can drive my mood and my mood can drive the way I express my love. God's not that way. God's just not that way. Thanks be to God, right? I mean, he... So it's not emotionally based. It's, it's not, it's, it doesn't contain the Greek word eros either. Eros is that sensual understanding of love. It, it's, not, it's, it's not that realm. It's, that's, that's, a, that's a different kind of love. And so it's without condition. So we come to verse 18, and I'll, we'll read verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, and um, keep in mind this agape without condition. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward as inheritance." For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So, Father, in the next few moments as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, Lord, may your word be magnified in our hearts just as you have magnified your word above all your name. May we magnify the truths contained within your word above all our name and come into just the simplicity of submissiveness and obedience with joy for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. So we come to verse 18, and we'll save that for the last, so if I run out of time, I don't have to address it. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Let's, let's break this down. Wives, submit, submit. The Greek word translated submit, is, it's actually a word that is essentially borrowed from the military. It means to be under rank. 
to be under rank. Uh, speaks of the way an, org- uh, an army organizes itself, whether it be generals, colonels, majors, captains, sergeants, privates, etc. There are levels of rank, and uh, one is obligated to respect those in higher rank. And so, when the scripture says, wives, submit, that word is understanding positionally a place and a position that is to be honored. It doesn't mean that uh, necessarily there is a smarter person in a higher rank or more wit or more talent or a better person. Uh, it just simply means there's someone positionally that is a higher rank in the order that God has established. Now, in the same way, it doesn't mean that you know a husband can lord over and because somehow he deserves the submission. That would be a misunderstanding, and most wives could probably poke their husbands in the eyeball if they think that way, <laughs> and probably should. Cut that from the tape. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, it really, what it really carries with it is um, a God-appointed order. And the beauty, the beauty of it, it's not without example in the Lord. For Jesus himself is under authority. Not my will, but thy will be done. The very, the very nature of who God is, God the Father, Jesus the Son, there is a positional authority that Christ is under, yet they're equal in nature and quality. And that's the same picture we have in a marriage equal in nature and quality, but rank and order matters, and it matters to the one who made us. He set set the rules. Now, relationally, that plays itself out depending on how one sees that. But if we see that in a respectful way that God operates, the Father is not lording over the Son. And the son is not in rebellion to the father. It's 100% submission. And so we have a beautiful picture of how this can work because God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of order. He is a God of love. He is a God of uh, unity. Unity! And I think that's beautiful. And so there is a picture in the very Trinity that we see in God. The equality of men and women before the Lord, which Paul wrote about in his letter to the churches of Galatia, um, it's not retracted. He said, in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, barbarian or Scythian, male or female, for Christ is in all and is all. So he's he's not just deleting that and saying, well, now you have this position. No, That equality, there is neither male nor female. There is equality in our nature and in our very being and our quality of who we are and that God has made us. But positionally, there is an order. Therefore, submission means simply you're part of a team. And if you're in a family and you're a husband and a wife, you guys are teammates. Come on. 
We should act like teammates. Right? A team divided against itself will not stand. stand. It'll fall down. Right? A kingdom divided will fall. But a team that is united can get some things done. Many, Many of you, if not all of you, know that I coach football, football, high school football. I love coaching high school football. And the coaching staff, we're all on the same page. And if we're not all on the same page, we will answer to the head coach. And he'll either, A, help us get on the right page, or B, he'll give us our walking papers. (laughs) And he'll find someone who will, right? So the point there is, as a team, and we're on the same team, the position head coach is the husband, assistant coach is the wife. But we're on the same team. Can I say, as husbands and wives in this room, or future husbands and future wives, it's it's about working together to accomplish a goal, to accomplish an end. Husbands, I'd like to just say to you, your assignment would be to help your wife make it to heaven most prepared. And wife, your assignment should be help your husband make it to heaven most prepared. There's eternal perspective here. Now, we have the day in and day out kind of stuff that has to happen, right? I mean, bills have to be paid. Right? Uh, someone has to go to work. Maybe both go to work, raising kids and all those things. All of the mundane. I mean, someone has to take the trash out. Someone probably has to separate the recyclables and the non-recyclables. Someone has to do dishes. Someone has to scrub toilets. Someone has to clean the floor. How you navigate those things should be teamwork. You should talk through all of those kinds of things so it's not contentious and not not addressed. Because those things that are not addressed will fester. So be a good team and talk about it. And the simplicity of, hey, can we talk about this? This is where husbands don't embitter. If your wife approaches you and says, can we kind of talk about this? And maybe there's an imbalance of the forces here. And maybe, you know, well, I mow the lawn. And we're like, yeah, but wintertime, you get off for three months or whatever. <laughs> She's still doing dishes. Or well, I don't know what it is, but I mean, you know, there's, there, it should be cooperative. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, like a hearty amen. amen. All right. Part of a team. If the family's a team, then the husband is the captain. Um, and the children and everybody else are on the team. And the wife is definitely an assistant coach. You should note also that the word submit here is an interesting uh, Greek word, uh, hypotasthe, in its, in its, um, in its uh, verb stance. Uh, it, or its verb tense, it, it lends itself towards this is a willful decision. I'm choosing to submit, right? Just like you would choose to submit to the Lord. It's a choice. And that also means that the husband can't use it as leverage. Well, you're supposed to submit to me. Well, you're supposed to behave in such a manner that she would be willing to submit, right? So there's two two ways. And we have to be careful about that, too, because it's not, it's like, well, let's just go a little further here. Um, we, we, it says to your own husband, by the way. Let me say this, ladies. It says to your own husband. 
That does not mean that you have to submit to every man. There's one man you submit to. That's your husband, and he's submitting to the Lord, as Ephesians chapter 5 would remind us, right? And so there is a sphere of that submission. Also, the term, as is fitting to the Lord, um, as is fitting to the Lord, this this is a term that has been taken out of context uh, in many circles. Uh, Husbands, you're not the Lord. You're not God, and you can't take that too far, right? There, there are limitations, and uh, we, if a man somehow thinks that, wife, you have to submit to him or else, I mean, that's time to make a phone call, and we'll, you know, use some counsel to help understanding come, right? Um, And it's the word of God that brings the liberty. It's the word of God that brings liberty. But it also doesn't mean and define a limit to the wife's submission. Wives, you can't say, well, you're not not in the Lord right now, so I'm not going to obey. Right? So there's a balance in these things and our view of these things. There has to be a healthy spiritual understanding. And really, verse 19 brings things into very good perspective in this regard. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. The word love here again is agape. It's to love and it's to literally give without expectation of receiving. So husbands, you're to deny yourself. Consider others' interests over your own. And so there is a certain level of this love that safeguards the wives' even understanding of their submission. And I won't go into details about the first century home and in whether in a Jewish culture, whether in a Gentile culture, whether in a Roman culture, the buck stopped with the man, and there was no equality in the house whatsoever. What he said went, and that was it. And so in the kingdom, there is a mutual respect. I think of all religions that have, been, uh, that have come up through man's attempt to get to God versus God's faith and connection with Christianity to man. Jesus is the only one who brought dignity to women. To this day. And so understanding that, there is a dignity that goes with the unity that is supposed to be happening between a husband and a wife. And on one Sunday morning, we're not going to cover a marriage weekend uh, or a marriage year of education and help and assistance. But the word of God is just simple in this regard. Husbands, love your wives. And it is a self-sacrificing agape love. And it, submission is modeled by a husband. Should be. Should be. So to all the husbands or future husbands that are in the house this morning, uh, wives, submit, your hu- submit to your husbands as husbands submit to the Lord. To the Lord. Men, 
You have a responsibility in your home. You are the spiritual head of your house. Not just the captain of the team. You're the spiritual head of your house. It is the man's responsibility to lead the spiritual engagement of the family. Your life should model a relationship with your Lord. David in the psalm said, early in the morning I will rise up and seek thee. Early in the morning I'll rise up and seek. The scripture says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Dads, listen. Men, listen to me today. Hear me. Seek the Lord. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Obey the word of God. Share the word of God. Six things definitively that we as men should carry the torch. We are the spiritual head of our house. So our modeling of submission should be obvious to our wives. It should be obvious. You're in submission. I mean, the things that we were told to put off in chapter 3 in the earlier verses, verses 5 through 11, our old nature, anger, rage, malice, all of those things, right? Filthy language. I mean, it just goes, the list goes on. And those are things that God, by his spirit, wants to rout out so that those other things, uh, love is... Uh, Patient, kind, good, all, the whole list of the fruit of the Spirit can be flowing in us. Gentleness, self-control. I mean, self-control. If you fly off the handle, hey. I mean, actually, if you know that happens, like I know it happens in my life sometimes, mostly on the freeway, but when it happens, <laughs> but when it happens, it's good because I'm aware, I'm aware of it and I'm cognizant and I realize God wants to do a work in me still. Come on, can I get an amen? And listen, no one's graduated and none of us are going to graduate until we graduate. Right? I mean, if you think you've arrived, I'm here to tell you, you haven't. <laughs> Pastor Dave says, God's still working on you. And we need his work. And we need to know. And when we see it in our midst, we need to help each other and say, hey, bro, I noticed you. You know, blah, blah, blah. Can I just speak a little into that? I haven't arrived yet, and I got things, but can I just share it? And can I help? Is there any way I can help you with this? And we need to help each other. Does that make sense? And husbands and wives, we need to help each other. We need to help each other. We have to be able to have conversation that may be hard without getting intonation changes in our voices, without the volume going up, without our nonverbal communication closing doors. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah but you. Can I just say, too, like when, when we're talking to each other, I mean, accusing, you're going to get some body language. 
You always, you may have heard those words, but don't raise your hands. <laughs> careful, careful. If you've said it, heard it right. No, <laughs> now we're really gonna have to have marriage counseling. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying, we have, to be, we, have to, we have to think about our words. Like, you know, terms like always, I mean, like, really? You always do that. Like, that's all I do? <laughs> no, we have to be very, very careful. So choosing words wisely and all those kinds of things. Okay, it's 11-11. I still have a lot of ground to cover. Um, am, I, am, am I making sense? Yeah. But the value of getting it right as teammates is so worth it. It's worth it. So being able to have conversation about it is healthy. Remember, agape is not emotional. So got to separate our emotion from it and say, look, I'm choosing to do this because it's right. Whatever I do, I'm going to do heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. And so we do these things, okay? So husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. I mean, I'm sure I could say things about bitterness. Um... But can I say this to all the guys? Your wife, like in our carnal nature, your wife may have done some things that would want you to be bitter toward her. But agape doesn't allow for it. Agape doesn't allow for it. Um, you, may, you may be in your mind justified to be harsh or unloving. Um, because of something that your wife has done or isn't doing, but there is no justification with agape. No matter how your wife has treated you or has been towards a husband, he is to love her. Because think about how you've lived towards the Lord, and he still loves you, right? Freely you have received, freely give, okay? It's a good, it's a good rule, it's a good rule. It's not easy. Anyone who says, I think that's easy, say amen. No one. <laughs> I thought I might hear at least one amen in there. I was going to invite you up to speak. <laughs> okay. This, the text goes on to say, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Uh, let me just say obedience has to do with the roof that you are under. So kids, if you live at home, obey your parents in all things. I think the text goes on to say in verse 21, fathers don't provoke or do not provoke your children. When it says parents, yeah, worship team, come on up. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be quick here. Jeff, I promise it won't be 20 minutes. Might be 19 minutes, but not 20. Um, fathers don't provoke your children. It really Parents don't provoke your children. Just padre is put in there as, you know, he's the, uh, he's the head, she's the assistant. So as a team, let's not provoke kids. And we can provoke our children. Trust me, I, I'm well-versed in provoking. <laughs> uh, and uh, again, it's, for kids, it's a specific order or chain of command. It's a God-ordained thing. And here's the beauty. Moms and dads, I, I just encourage you to... Not use your faith as leverage with your children. Don't use your faith as leverage. Say, well, we don't do that because we're Christian. Please don't do that. Because your kids 
They may be angry at you for a season, but they'll be angry at God for a life. Right? So I know in our home, we're not, we weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, but I know in our home, we told our kids, you don't, there's certain things you don't do because you're a Morris. And while you bear my name under this roof, there are things that you cannot do. So their frustration can be toward me and not toward God. Does that make sense? Make sense? And we also, we tried to teach our children to be independent of us, but to be independent or independence on the Lord, right? And so we want them to have proper understanding of authority so that when they're out from underneath our roof, they understand they're still under authority. And that now becomes their Lord and Savior. And so, parents, we need to not provoke our kids. And provoking uh, kids... (laughs) I mean, we could be too harsh. Anybody guilty of being too harsh? Yeah. Uh, how about too demanding? Yeah, been there. How about too controlling? No, I haven't been there. That was... <laughs> how unforgiving? It, I mean, just being angry. I mean, I was an angry papa, and I was an angry dad. I mean, Jeff, it was ugly sometimes. I was too. I'm telling you, it got ugly sometimes. But you know what the beauty, the beauty of anger or the beauty of provoking, it gives opportunity to ask for forgiveness. And I can tell you, there were many, many nights where I sat on the edge of a child's bed crying, asking for forgiveness because dad had misbehaved. Don't go to bed in anger. Get it right. Even if it means you have to wake your children up and they're all sleepy, and you may be crying, and they don't understand, or you may be humbled, and you may be speaking softly, and they don't fully get it, they'll get it. They'll see it, and they'll know it if it's consistent, even into their adulthood. Does that make sense? They'll model it with their own kids if they see it in you. So let me just finish with this. Parents, be wise, be gentle, be instructive, Be a good coach. Be a good coach. Don't demean the kids. Raise the kids. Teach the kids well. Finally, some instruction for employees and employers. And I'm just going to keep this one real simple. Whether you're an employee or you're an employer, whether you're a supervisor, a manager, or uh, an employee, low rank, or wherever you are, if we could say low, I mean, you know, entry level, um, Whatever you do, do as, do as unto the Lord. So if you're a supervisor, a business owner, treat people the way Jesus treated people. Treat people the way Jesus treats you. Treat them well. Do well toward them. And if you're an employee, don't just work when the boss is there, and then when the boss is gone, be like, hey, let's play this video game on our phones, you know, which brick and balls is probably the best game. But anyway, I'm just saying, if you work eight hours, work eight hours. If you have a 10-minute break, don't stretch it to 15. Don't go to the bathroom, you know, six and seven times during the day just to waste five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. Do what's expected of you. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're paid for eight hours of work, how about give eight hours of work? Otherwise, you're stealing. And the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Last time I checked, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, is it, it really is that simple. And work hard. We should be the hardest workers. And how about not complaining and murmuring over at the water tower? 
water tower. It's a thing, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, when you go to the little coffee dispenser, I mean, that's not a place to moan, groan, and complain. I can think of some other words that probably come to my mind. Don't do that. Be the one who says, hey, we got this. Let's go. Be the positive. Does that make sense? Well, if you agree with the word of God this morning, would you stand, please? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, I want to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and we're going to conclude the service, and Pastor Dennis will bring us to conclusion. Um, practical Christian living, guys, it really is extremely attractive when it's lived well, and people will be drawn to it because of the Spirit of God that is in you. He will be bringing that to them. And they'll say, I want what you have. I want what you have. And so let's have what, let's, let's legitimately possess what God wants for us in our homes and in our work so that people will say, I want to be like you. I want what you have. And we can simply say, well, what we have is we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And we can invite them to know the Lord. Pray with me this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And thank you for, God, just the practicality of living our lives. And the truth is, as wives are submissive to husbands, husbands are submissive to wives in agape love. It just, it's symbiotic. It works. It works. And you have modeled for us what it looks like to be in submission, Jesus. And so we want to emulate that we want to follow hard after you. As spiritual heads of our own homes, help us to live our lives in such a manner that we are, um, it, it becomes a desirous thing for our wives because they see us submitting to the word of God and to the spirit of God and to you, Jesus. And they say, we got this, honey, I'm with you. And they're, they're just there. And so uh, help us, God, to, as men, and as fathers, to lead our homes well, and uh, to be, may we all be the best employees that are even our managers and our bosses say, man, I wish I had an army of you. Uh, and so, God, help us to do heartily as unto you and not as unto men. For your glory and for your name's sake, bless we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a hearty amen. Amen.